Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Wingin' Motown Radio. We're doing things a little different uh, than we normally do. Uh, we're planning something special. We have a special guest joining us tonight. Um, and uh, we're, we're kind of continuing uh, our conversation a little bit about uh, the so-called Iser Plan. Uh, and if you don't understand those that what, what Iser Plan means, then I can't help you. You should probably listen to another podcast. Um <laughs> But basically, we're talking about, uh, yeah, the Iser Plan. And joining us uh, on this episode is uh, Alan, and he is with Raw Charge, which is the SB Nation um, uh, site for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, again, I don't think I need to explain the connection here. Uh, but, um, yeah, Alan's joining us. This is, a, this is a little special for us. Alan, how are you? I'm doing great, fellas. Thanks for, thanks for having me on the podcast. Just a velvety, rich voice he has, and uh, it's really gonna. I'm actually might even put this in for an Emmy. We'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, so again, we're continuing what we were talking about before, and I wasn't on the previous episode, so Peter is gonna kind of take the reins here. But you know, as we said, we're talking a little bit about uh, Eiserman's plan to to make the the Red Wings a, a good team and. Uh, maybe kind of breathe life back into the franchise as he has before. Um, so, Peter, I mean, there's <laughs> this has been kind of intricate. So, um, you know, where do we leave off at? Yeah, no problem. It's, it's funny. I, I felt like I, I totally forgot because I texted you. I was like, oh, Alan's coming. You're like, who? <laughs> yeah, it was weird. I was like, okay. It is right on. <laughs> so I know Alan, everybody. Just right, so you know. yeah. Well, not know him, know him, but Twitter. <laughs> Yeah, not biblically or anything. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. So, yeah. So, so basically, last week, uh, if you haven't listened to last episode, obviously, you know, you should go back. Like, you don't have to go, like, stop and go back and and you know, listen to this after, you know. But just you know, go back and listen to that because what we talked about last week was basically um, Iserman's playing career in Detroit, right? So. Uh, you know, his beginnings, you know, being drafted, uh, the coaches that he played under, you know, the influences that he could have, uh, you know, taken from that, uh, you know, from his time in Detroit. And, you know, we, we figured that when we talked about his time in Tampa Bay, obviously, you know, just as being hockey fans and, you know, people who are probably interested in, you know, what a Detroit legend is doing. You know, like, you know, we're, we're kind of paying attention. We're kind of, you know, we kind of know what's going on. Uh, but there's no way that we have the, you know, the level of knowledge that somebody like Alan does who has, you know, spent a lot of time following this. Um, so I guess before we get into some of the stuff that our, uh, our awesome listener uh, sent in uh, question, you know, specific questions. Um, so what was, uh, you know, what was the feeling in Tampa when Iserman you know, came to Detroit? Because I know, obviously, there are kind of rumblings for a while. You know, there are definitely some signs that it could happen. But I know it seemed, at least, you know, from our perspective, it seemed kind of surprising that it happened when it happened. Like, it seemed like it would probably happen down the road. But it's at least for me, like, I was kind of caught off guard that it happened so quickly. You know, so what was, like, the feeling like on the other side? Yeah, same same kind of surprise. Um, I mean, I think, 
you know, like, I mean, that that rumor was always going to kind of hang over the franchise. So I think everyone sort of knew that was a possibility, and especially with the way things were going in Detroit, that they were very obviously coming to the end of that sort of run of success that they had for all those years, and there was going to have to be a rebuild. And so it would make sense for there to be a leadership change at some point in the next couple of years. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very it was very surprising. I it still sort of came out of nowhere and was weird timing, you know, right before the season. And, you know, I wonder if, I wonder if maybe, you know, Iserman had an inkling that that was going to be his last year. And if, if maybe, you know, internally they decided that they would rather have him, you know, kind of step aside and let Julian Breezebois take over the job full time with Iserman kind of in that advisory role so that they could get that kind of interim year, you know, to, to transition to a new leadership team and things like that. So, yeah, definitely, especially the timing right before the start of the regular season. And in a way, it sort of makes sense because for a front office, that's when you've just finished, you know, the most important part of your business. So he got them through the draft. He got them through free agency. Um, basically got them right up to training camp and then sort of handed the reins over. But yeah, for, for sure. I don't, I don't think anybody was expecting that. And obviously as a lightning blog, we spent, you know, years kind of refuting the Detroit stuff and, and kind of pushing back against it. And obviously that was inevitably going to come to, to, to bite us when it, when it happened. But yeah, I think the, I think the timing caught, caught everybody a little bit off guard. Yeah, so so let's get into some of these uh, specific questions because, um, you know, like we said last time, uh, you know, the listener uh, MC Fubar did a really great job of, you know, kind of really breaking down a lot of this stuff. And, you know, he goes into a lot of detail, so we don't have to touch on every single thing. Um, but obviously his, you know, one of his biggest uh, things in Detroit, you know, one of his biggest, uh, um, you know, uh, moves that made the most news was was at the draft last year um and so one of the things that he was wondering about is you know what are the you know historically like what has his um uh you know tendencies been in terms of like the attributes of the prospects that he is looking to draft at each of the positions right like obviously you know every player is different but like does he seem to have tendencies in tampa uh that might give us a hint in Detroit of like what to expect going forward. Yeah. So I think, I think to start with this, with this, and I think this is going to be relevant for a lot of stuff as we, as we go through kind of, you know, questions about his approach and, and, you know, how he manages things. I think it's important to remember that like uh, general managers, they're not, they're not expert scouts. They're not expert contract people. They're not experts at like, identifying and hiring the right talent around like they they don't have all of those skill sets right like general managers just kind of sit in the seat where all the information comes to them and they get good information then they make good decisions based on that information and they're kind of a they have a public facing role they have a role communicating with other teams other front they talk to other gms they maintain those relationships and things like that so i think the the important thing to sort of try to contextualize this a little bit is like Iserman had a lot of success in Tampa, but he also had a lot of really talented people around him and who had very specific skill sets. And so when we're talking about the draft, that's that's Al Murray, right, who's one of the best scouting directors in, in the league and got promoted to, you know, assistant general manager, probably so that the Lightning could keep him um, after Iserman left. So when you look at the Lightning drafts, it's not just looking at sort of you know, who, what kind of player does Iserman prefer? It's looking at, you know, 
what was the what was the priority for that scouting staff and then you know sort of trying to i guess what i'm trying to get at is trying to suss out like exactly like what kind of player he likes like it's it the what happened in tampa may not necessarily be representative of that but i i think that the the thing that i would be looking at from from your guys perspective is like tampa was sort of in a similar situation where he came on board and the team really needed a major overhaul. And they did, they took a lot of um, home run swings in the, in the first few years in his drafts, right? Kucherov in the second round. Um, they went up to Braden point, which was a, a big bet on talent, which, you know, looking backwards is obvious. And even a lot of people were, were on point, you know, at the draft, but still from a, from an NHL perspective, that was, that was a, risky pick and, you know, sort of an undersized player with concerns about his skating and stuff like that. So I think in the early part of his tenure, he was, they were, they were looking to hit home runs. They were looking for stars, right? They were, they knew that they had a lack of talent and that they needed to get players who could, who could fulfill kind of top of the roster stuff. And I think as his time went on in Tampa, I think their priorities really shifted. Um, and they, they went less for, kind of those home run swings and they started looking for um, players that could, that could kind of fill, fill roles up and down the roster, kind of more well-rounded players, more two-way players. You know, they, they had Kucherov, um, they had Stamkos, uh, they had, you know, Tyler Johnson, they had all these really offensive oriented players. And I think they started, that's when they started to look at guys like Anthony Sorelli and even Alex Volkov as a second round pick, you know, they had, visions of him as, as a two-way player. Um, I think drafting Cal foot in the first round is kind of evidence of that really looking to kind of shore up defensively as, as they went on and their trade that deadline acquisitions kind of supported that, you know, this, this year too. So I think it'll be interesting to see. And I think cider kind of, you know, more cider who they drafted, I think it was like sixth overall last year that, that pick kind of fits that home run swing, right? Like they, 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 that's a little bit, there's a little bit of risk there, but it's a player with a ton of upside who, if he reaches a ceiling, you know, has, has legit top pairing and kind of number one skill set potential. So it'll be interesting to see if they kind of follow that path where, you know, last year, this year, maybe next year they take some big swings. And then if they start to see the progression and they start to see the success and some of the players they've drafted come up and start being effective, then maybe they shift strategy a little bit, start looking for, all right, who's going to be our shutdown center? Who's going to be our, you know, reliable two-way defensemen that are going to play a ton of minutes and things like that. Yeah. I, you know, what's, what's really interesting is I look at cider and uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, kind of feel like Iserman sees him as the same kind of model or prototype as like a Victor Hedman, um, maybe kind of like along the same lines. Obviously, it's hard to say, you know, I'm not saying that Moritz Seider is going to be the next Victor Hedman, which, of course, we'd love for that to happen. Um, but, I mean, as you said, Ellen, I think it's, you know, it's it's good to look at the contrast between what is, I mean, obviously, it's only been a year. So, you know, if you contrast kind of what, what the team needs are uh, as he has entered, you know, he's begin his regime here. Um, but as you said, it is so, it is also so contingent about the people around you. Um, and I've always been one of those people who have believed that NHL scouting is kind of a wash and I don't think names matter in NHL scouting at all. Uh, I mean, you know, you could throw a name at me, whatever his name is, Murray or whoever the, the guy in Tampa, um, and I mean, I know who he is, but uh, it, I mean, those names really don't mean anything to me um, because I I think that scouting in the NHL is just so convoluted to begin with. Um, and 
what they have in Detroit, I mean, it has worked for a long time, but obviously now it, it, it's quite obvious that there needs to be a culture change in, in tight and how they build the teams because the, the league is evolving in a different way. Um, and Ken Holland was, uh, I think Ken Holland is the perfect GM for a team who has, has their core players in their prime. Um, and he can build around them. And, he was just kind of crippling Detroit because he kind of tried to keep uh, keep plugging holes as the ship was sinking, uh, and uh, it just didn't work out. So um, Eiserman coming along, I, I think the Red Wings are, are Red Wings fans um, are okay with having a, a GM now, especially it, that it comes with who he is, um, who will take those risks, as you were saying, uh, Alan. Um, like Moritz Sider, that was that was a, that was a surprising pick to everybody. Nobody was expecting them to take Moritz Sider. Like not one person was expecting that. Um, and we still don't know if that's a good or bad pick. But um, you know, Sider showed that he's he he has a lot of uh, a lot of upside. And um, I think what Iserman's plan here right now is to tough it out for a year or two, and then you can really flip the switch and maybe start making some more aggressive plays toward whether it's in free agency or trading. Um, so, I mean, that's what I'm mostly interested in is the overlook of what Iserman did in free agency with, with you know, we know that he drafted pretty damn well in Tampa. But when you look at, like, how he supplemented his draft picks with free agency or trades. I mean, what did you see there? So, I mean, I think the, the primary thing is one, they were, they have not been a very active team in free agency. They've very much been a draft and develop and <laughs> trade and resign kind of team. Um, so, so that's like, that's like music to a lot of Red Wings fans ears. <laughs> like literally like that is, so go ahead, go on. I'm sorry to, I didn't mean to introduce <laughs> No, yeah, that's yeah, that's I mean that's that, that's what you want to be, right? Cuz I mean ideally in the NHL if you're drafting well enough, you're not going to have very much room to spend in free agency. Like your your big contract slots are going to go to players that you drafted and then you're going to use free agency to add, you know, fourth line wingers, you know, third pair defenders, stuff stuff like that. So, um for 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 Iserman, they did a little bit more in free agency in the beginning of his term, right? I think Anton Strawman is probably yeah. the the most high profile and most successful kind of so, example of them. I was going so goddamn pissed when they signed him because I wanted the Red Wings to sign him. I remember when they first signed him, I was like, how the hell does this, like, it, I don't know. But yeah, I, Anton Strauman was a, a signing that always stood out to me. Just because well, yeah, I want some lemon juice Mark. for that one. Remember, <laughs> the reason that we didn't sign Anton Strauman, as reported by uh, our favorite writer, Helene St. James at the Free Press, was that Ken Holland said, uh, I'm paraphrasing badly, and you know when it comes to Helene, that's that's what you do. Uh, we don't need Anton Strawman because we got Jake Jakob Kindle. Yeah. <laughs> oh so, God, what could yeah. have been? I hate you, JJ. God damn it. <laughs> What's Jakob Kindle up to? Uh, he's playing in the, some European league right now. Six foot two. Yeah, six foot two. <laughs> Posting pictures. Uh, of him on the beach i don't know that's like i he i, I he's like on the beach more than he he's on the beach more than he's playing hockey it's very strange 
Um, but yeah, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to hijack that from you, Peter. Um, <laughs> no, go for it. But it, but it was an interesting, it was an interesting topic. And go on from there, Alan. You know, you, you were yeah. talking about Anton Strom and what else? Yeah, I mean, aside from that, like, I mean, I hope I'm not forgetting some like major obvious signing. But if you look at their core, like their their core group is all is all drafted players: Stamkos, Kucherov, Point, Sorelli, Palat, Johnson. Uh, Yanni Gord wasn't, I mean, he, he wasn't drafted, but he's a, you know, he's an undrafted free agent that they, that they signed. So, I mean, most of their Alex Klorn, you know, like they're, they're almost their entire roster is all, is all drafted and developed. And then the, the big thing with them was, was always, what are they going to do with either, you know, when Stamkos was an unrestricted free agent and obviously they managed to get that done and retain him, um, the Callahan contract is the one that everyone will look at as, as the really bad one. And it definitely was a bad contract. Um, but they were able to kind of navigate around it successfully and, and move it when the time came. And, and that's another, you know, I mentioned they had a lot of, I think, you know, they have a strong scouting department. They also have Julian Breezebois, who's, you know, kind of the, the contract and CBA expert. So I think he was helping with a lot of those. So that's another area where, you know, it'll be interesting to see in Detroit, if he's able to have the same sort of success, if he can, find somebody with that same expertise to kind of help guide him in the, in the right direction when it comes to contract structures and, and the timing of the, of, you know, no trade clauses and things like that to make sure that, you know, once players are going to hit their decline phases that, that they're, they're able to be moved. Um, So, yeah. So, and then in terms of, in terms of like restricted free agents, the the thing that I think is another thing that'll be interesting to watch for in Detroit is Tampa was, very rigid in their in the way that they handed guys contracts you know that when when they when they came out of their entry-level deals they got bridge deals and then after their bridge deals they got long-term deals and they really haven't uh wavered from that um almost at all i think Braden point was the first one to get a big contract uh right out of his elc and and that's that's probably partially because the the market has changed a little bit on them. But if you think back to that, that Kucherov contract and all the other guys I mentioned, they kind of got the same thing. Um, and so he was, he, they were really, they were really process oriented in saying, you know, once you make the team, you come out of your ELC, you're going to get this kind of contract. You continue to perform. You're going to get this kind of contract. And that can, that can either, it can do one of two things. It can sort of rub players the wrong way. If, if, if they're, you know, seeing other players around the league get bigger contracts earlier. But the other thing it can do is sort of just put everybody in the same boat and just sort of say, like, listen, if you play for the Lightning or for you guys' case, if you if you play for the Red Rings, this is how your contract structure works. And if you perform, this is when you're going to get paid. And it kind of it kind of shows everybody what the steps are and kind of directly rewards them as they as they proceed through the process. So, um yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. But I I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, dip his toe in free agency here in the first couple of years to try to find some support players, or if he thinks there's an undervalued player while the while the team, you know, not that they have a bunch of cap space now, but maybe maybe next summer or something. If they if they think there's that Anton Strawman type move where they can get a you know at a at a good value a player who's going to contribute for a few years, then they do that sort of thing. But other than that, I would really expect them to focus on draft, develop, and and retain guys. Um, and that was one of the complaints in Tampa was that maybe they gave um, contracts to kind of middle six forwards that, that didn't warrant that. Um, 
so that could be that can be kind of a double-edged sword and then you know they can take up cap space and it can be tough to, tough to move them but they were always able to navigate around it and figure out how to create enough space to be able to get done the things that they need to to get done and and stay competitive so basically well, what you're it. telling me is there's going to be we're going to have six more years of darren helm <laughs> surrounded by 19 year old hockey players <laughs> and I'm fine with that. JJ, what were you saying? <laughs> oh, I just want to toss in real quick. The uh, I, I like the point about the, the salary cap guru Pete, uh, person there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really helps out. And for Red Wings fans listening, one of the things that I, uh, Iserman has done when, you know, because when he came in, he, he did end up purging a lot of the uh, the old uh, Ken Holland guys and, and keeping stuff. He did keep Ryan Martin, and Ryan Martin has been with the yeah. team for I think like 14 years, and he's the one who knows all about. Like he, um, I, I think that he is a, a big part of the the brain trust that really started creating mm-hmm. those original. Um, I mean, they're called Luongo contracts, but. Um, the the Franz and yeah, the yeah, or figuring out yeah figuring out the ways to to work that so I I think that the no GM works by himself and I think that you know we we did discuss discuss this a lot last week is that there was a a, a, a big brain trust in Detroit while Eiserman was getting his feet wet as a GM and I think that that is part of what helped him figure out that's that's what need that's what's needed and he it seems like he did a really good job of that in tampa and so far since he's been back with the red wings i've really liked the way that he's been able to surround himself with with smart guys and even smart guys who were there when he came back anyway like ryan mark right and i remember I, there was so much like anxiety uh among some of us that with ken holland we thought that ryan martin was like the next general manager like they were they had basically, they had so obviously have been grooming him to be the general manager of this team for so long, it seems to me. Um, and I was really worried. But, you know, JJ, that's a great point. He has been such a huge part of the process of uh, kind of navigating around uh, <laughs> the cap era. Uh, so, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, a GM is, it only takes you so far. It's more about the people around them. And, um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure Iserman going into this draft has a bunch of players that he's really interested in, um, but he's gonna—he's not gonna make these picks just based on his own opinion. He's gonna listen to his own people. Um, you know, I think most GMs are like that uh, in the NHL. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, the draft and develop thing, Alan. Uh, That's—I think—that's what every Red Wings fan wants to hear right now. Is they want to see that continued. Uh, surge of young talent with the team. But I think the Red Wings are in a very sensitive spot because um, they are in that little like gray area where they could be rebuilding for another uh, uh, two years. Like all it takes is a couple more young players and pieces, or they could be still rebuilding for another half a decade. Uh, You know, it's, it just really depends on how certain things shake out. Um, and so it's it's tough to really forecast right now, but uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then what we'll do is we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about the Iser plan, and then we'll get into some other things. So just stick around with us. Wim Radio, ad timeout. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's play. All right, everybody, welcome back. So we are kind of continuing what we're talking about, uh, what we were talking about in the previous segment, which is the Iser plan. And uh, we're kind of getting the outsider's uh, perspective. Uh, we reached out to our affiliate, uh, Raw Charge at SB Nation. Um, they covered the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, they are great people. They do good work. Unfortunately, uh, they cover a toilet team and nobody <laughs> likes them. But um, we still respect them and we love them. And uh, we're so happy that Alan is with us. <laughs> uh, I'm totally kidding. Uh, kind of, not really. Uh, Emily Arena, lovely, lovely spot. Um, but, uh, so we're kind of continuing asking questions, Alan, uh, to Alan about what, uh, what he thinks, uh, or what he, what he saw in, uh, Eiserman as a general manager and what, uh, that might mean for the Red Wings. Um, so I think JJ, we were talking about a question that he had for him, JJ. Yeah. So I wanted to, uh, to lean back into the concept of the Iser plan being, Build from the core first. Get the the high octane guys in place, and then uh, kind of fill out uh, the the glue guys later on. Is, is that uh, an accurate summation, Alan? Yeah, I think. I mean, I it's hard to know from the outside if that was the plan, but that's that seems to be the the way it happened. And there did seem to be a pretty you know distinct kind of change in their approach to the draft the last couple of years he was there. So I, I think that's a reasonable kind of you know, inference based on what they did. Good, yeah, and that kind of fits in with the, the theory that I opposed last week based on his playing career with the Red Wings and, and how he was uh, brought up was that essentially what he would try to do is create the mid-90s Red Wings. Um, and if you were talking about how that team came together, that was very much a you get all the, the <laughs> high octane, the, the scoring, the talent together, and then you have the glue guys that, that really fill that in. So that that's uh, music to, to this Red Wings fan's ears. But uh, part of what we're looking at in, in terms of how we get there from here is the the concept of aggressively putting together the core. Now, Eiserman did inherit uh, Stamkos and Hedman, and, and uh, that is whatever to his credit or detriment, I, I, I don't really care. Um, Stamkos and Hedman did not put... Tampa over the top. Um, it is very clear that Iserman's um, fingerprints are, are all over what helped make the the Lightning a, a true contender. But in his earlier and, and even in the middle of years, here's where I want uh, some perspective. Because from a Red Wings fan's perspective, um, the concept of, of trading guys young just does not happen. Um, but looking at Eiserman's actions in his years with Tampa, it did seem like he was uh, fairly willing. Uh, I guess that's my question: is how willing uh, does is he, from your perspective, uh, to make those kinds of trades to to aggressively move on from a draft pick that maybe just isn't fitting in just yet? So, I, I mean, I think the the obvious case is is the Druin one, right? Um, where they made they made the move 
at a point where um, it probably still felt a little bit uncomfortable because you still wondered about the potential. But then one year later, it was pretty obvious the player he is and that they, they made the right decision there. So I think I don't think that they they didn't necessarily make a habit out of, you know, dumping prospects that weren't going to that weren't going to, you know, sort of live up to expectations or anything. But I, I think what they were very quick about was moving on with players that they didn't think were going to be a fit for the organization. And I think that, you know, you can, you can look at that multiple ways, but I think Druin was an example of that. I think Tony D'Angelo was an example of that. Um, and, and I think, you know, Brett Connolly was more of a, just, uh, you know, he, he, that, that was purely, I think just an on ice thing that, that they were just kind of confident that he wasn't going to, emerged to be the sort of player that they thought he might be where they based on where they drafted him. Um, you know, Slater Cuckoo is another first round pick who hung around for a while and then they, you know, they moved him for a, for a player who was a better fit. So it, you know, I don't, I don't think that they're, they're necessarily in a hurry to do that, but I do think that they, they were pretty good about moving on from players once they felt like they didn't have value to the organization. And also I, I think very much, they were not willing to tolerate guys who, who didn't want to be there or who thought that, you know, maybe they were entitled to more than they had earned and things like that. And that, that can be really difficult to assess from the outside. And I know even during the, the Drew and stuff, it was tough to figure out was the team just kind of being a hard ass with him and, and not putting him in a position to succeed and all the stuff that NHL teams have a habit of doing, or was there, you know, legitimate reason for them to be sending him down to the AHL. So that's, that's stuff that's that's tough to figure out from from where we sit but you know in retrospect obviously it looks like it it worked out for them um so yeah i mean he's he's willing to make those moves but i i think they're also ideally they would just if if they draft a guy high they want to give him a chance to to succeed and and develop and grow into whatever whatever role they can you know whatever role is going to be the right fit for them and then because you need you need guys who are going to contribute on the third line, and and so they have a guy like Alex Kalorn, right, in the Lightning organization, who has played, you know, every position basically in the in the in the top nine. And so even if a guy doesn't, even if you draft a guy high and he doesn't pan out, if he's if he's willing to to play a role that's useful to the team and and can you know have a fit there, then I, I think they want to hold on to those guys. Yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty sure it was Scotty Bowman who said it, but uh, I'm somebody will jump down my throat if I get it wrong. Um, the concept of I'd rather trade a guy uh, a year too early than a year too late. And from what Detroit fans got to see in the later years of Ken Holland was way too many trying to trade a guy a year too late, uh, you know, give him a little yep. bit more time to develop. And by that time, nobody else wanted him because it, it felt like Detroit was basically one of, if not the only team that was taking so long to develop all their prospects that, by the time it was that year too late, nobody had any idea whether or not this guy had an NHL future because he'd spent so much time in the AHL or jumping up up and down. Um, so it very much seems like Eiserman was not like that. He was he was he had it, it seems like he's been in the I, I would be okay trading a guy too early um, just because if it, but all of the, the trades you've mentioned, I mean, they've all seemed to have made sense. Um, but looking back hindsight wise, are there any of those where you thought maybe he did give up on a guy too early or, or any of the any big regrets of, of kind of trades he's made? There's no major regrets in terms of players. I think the I think the Braden Coburn trade 
is one where they paid a really high price in draft picks um, and a good player, a player who I don't particularly like in Radko Gudis um, and who I don't think is a, is a good fit for the way the lightning play, but is like a, a very valuable and like effective player at what he does. And so giving up him plus, you know, high picks for Braden Coburn, who's been a, you know, a good fourth or fifth defenseman um, in his years in Tampa. I think that that one was a little steep. And then um, the other trade that people would look at would be the, the Marty St. Louis trade, which isn't necessarily about the value that they got in return or anything like that. It's just about kind of how that situation played out and deteriorated. So, so quickly to the point where he, spent his last couple of years in New York instead of being kind of the, the veteran leader and, and contributor on the, the, the beginning of this kind of lightning run and, and kind of helping transition over to the, to the kind of next group of, of players who would take over for him. He always thought St. Louis came out looking like a jerk off in that. And I, like, I didn't, yeah. so I was curious about, about that. I can't remember. It was, was that Coburn trade when you guys created for Coburn, wasn't that, was that the year that you guys that Tampa went to the final? I think it was the year after. I think it was the year they went to the conference final. Okay, but but Coburn was was with the team when they went to the final, correct? I don't or think not? so. Okay, I think it was. I, yeah, I think it was okay. the year after. Well then, yeah. Okay, my my Tampa Bay Lightning knowledge is dog shit. Then, <laughs> <laughs> JJ, did you have JJ? Have anything else? No, I I think that uh, yeah. that answered that that line that I was I was going to yeah. filled in the rabbit hole. Yeah, I, I it, and that is a really good kind of a perspective. Uh, I think is how do you uh, you know uh, how do you grade his his trades in, in in Tampa? And really, the one that will always stand out to me is obviously, and I'm pretty sure it's the same with everybody else is the the Drew Ann trade, um, and kind of how that pers- uh, kind of came came about because Drin was always a you know I mean he was a high draft pick uh, he was uh, highly sought after and you know he had a lot of upside and he's still a good player I think I don't I'm not I'm not gonna knock him but I think yeah Tampa came out on the right side of that trade and uh, <clears throat> I think that means uh, Evgeny Svechnikov is gonna get traded for uh, for uh, the next up and comer. I think he's going to get traded for Quinn Hughes and it's going to be great. Yeah. <laughs> right. So well, my most memorable Steve Eiserman trade it continue and continuing the, the realm of pain in regards to defensemen is I will never oh, no. forgive Steve Eiserman for working the trade that brought Kyle Quincy to oh, Detroit God. for the pick that became Andre Vasilevsky. I just, so I that, guess I, okay. that is a good one, JJ. I can't. Alan, do you have as much? Do you have like uh, like shit eating pride in that? Like knowing that 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 Steve Weisman did that for your team uh, at the expense of mine. Yeah, I mean that's. I'll, well, first of all, I got to eat crow because because Kyle was right. Coburn was traded in the in the cup year. Yes. So I was I was wrong. He knows the team better than I do. Yes. <laughs> um, Lightning fan, Kyle. I, th- I think he even scored in the cup final now that You're I think about it, which is, did. yeah, no, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, the, the Vasilevsky stuff is, is tough because I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical on him and I'm very scared of that contract that he signed. Uh, so I'm like, I'm like the worst person to ask about that. Um, because I, 
I'm I'm real worried about having nine and a half million dollars a year tied up in okay. a in a goalie. Yeah, but, but I don't care about the current situation. <laughs> I'm glad that you're worried. But what about at its core, like that trade, you know, you're talking about the trade at its core, not the contract that it is now. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that, that that's a nice one. Um, I like the Duran trade a lot personally, and one that I think goes under the radar. I like the Ben Bishop trade for Eric Chernak because oh, yeah. Ben yeah. Bishop played six games or seven games for the Kings that year. Like yeah. that was that was nothing, and they they got a got a kid who became a second pairing defenseman like a year and a half later, and is going to play for them for like ten years. For yeah, that's seven a good one. games of Ben Bishop. That's a that's a fleecing. <laughs> was 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 Eiserman the one who traded for Bishop too? Yeah, yeah, he did. T- so, he did two Ben Bishop fleecing. That's a great one. Like that's a great. Like I don't even know how that wasn't the lead. Like you think about like trading for a starting goalie, and then uh, you know you ride him out for a while, and then you end up flipping him for a for a core piece of your team. I mean, that's a that's a real. I mean, that's a good one. Yeah. So would that fleecing be like your your number one? Heiserman fleecing trade of of his career with Tampa. I mean, that's. I think just pure value wise, that's 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 really good. Um, yeah, and and I think the I think it speaks to like the fact that we have like multiple of these trades that we can point to. I think the Druin for Sergachev one is is really. That I mean, I I covered that at the time, and I, I I thought it was a reasonable trade at the time, given where both players were in their career and the upside and stuff. But it's just when I wrote about it, I wrote that it was a really dangerous trade for both teams because that could easily e- either of them could have easily ended up looking really bad if one player reached their ceiling and the other didn't. And it's right. it's the Habs that ended up looking bad on that one. But I I think one of Iserman's like biggest strengths as a as a GM is is the fact that he's able to make all these moves and it seems like people are still really willing to deal with him. It doesn't kind of damage his relationships when he, when he puts one over on people. Um, I think at that same dread trade deadline where he moved, uh, where he moved Bishop, he also traded Valtteri Filppula. He found a way to get that contract off the books at basically no cost when, when Filppula was obviously done, um, <laughs> really whoa. had nothing left whoa. to offer and had like whoa, two years whoa, left. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> No, 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 no. I'm a Valtteri Filippula stan. Um, we don't we don't talk like he, that on this. No, he was his second line NHL center last year. I'll have you know. <laughs> uh, crow, how about you eat that crow? <laughs> yeah. no. No, I'm <laughs> no, I love it because we've already got the 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 Fabry for De La Rose deal to look at. But you know, I was, I'm look thinking right. back like the one thing that will always just bring me joy and this is probably just me as a the the shitty fan i am um like no matter what the sharks ever do their gm once traded up to get to take murko mueller at 18th allowing the red wings to still take anthony mantha and then also take tyler bertuzzi (laughs) with the bonus pick they got And so no matter what happens from that point forward, like anytime I, I ever have to deal with a Sharks fan, that's just going to be in the back of my head. So I was offering you the opportunity to have that uh, your dumbass team gave us Vasilevsky uh, for Kyle Quincy. <laughs> that, that Fabry trade was the first time I really went like, oh, shit, that's Steve Eisenman. <laughs> like that's. That's that's a move that has his fingerprints on it because they they he wanted Iserman in Tampa like it, 
Tampa had been doing this dance with the Blues around Kevin Shattenkirk for like three trade deadlines in a row or something. And Fabry was always in those conversations. And so, like the fact that he found a way to buy low on him for basically nothing, like that's that's a that's a classic Steve Eiserman has a guy he wants, just kind of waits for the right time, finds a moment when the team is for some reason willing to give him away for nothing and and pounces. See, and that's what I love too, because that's the stuff that, that tends to get remembered. Um, five years from now, I'm not sure how many people are going to remember uh, that we traded um, Regula, uh, Regula, whatever, uh, for Brendan Perlini, and that just has not worked out. Yeah. Or that we gave Tampa a pick for, for Adam Ernie, and he's just been whatever. But Adam Ernie was never going to be like, you know, the guy to change it, right? I mean, whatever. I yeah, I, the that was the thing about Eisman is that he made a lot of, um, I, I think like I, I like to call them low interest trades, um, or no interest trades, where you're you're just taking a flyer on something and you're yeah you're 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 gambling something, um, but it's so minuscule. Um, and you know, I, I guess when you come to doing that, when, when you do that, uh, eventually you'll hit on one, right? I mean, it's kind of like, <laughs> almost like gambling if you want to boil it down to that. And I mean, the Robbie Fabry trade, uh, that was one of them, but I think that was a little bit different of a situation because I think St. Louis just straight up shit the bet on that one. Um, but y- y- yeah, I, I mean, I think that. It, you know, I, I would rather see an, a, a GM make moves to try and improve the team rather than just be frugal and hold on to everything. You know what I mean? I, I might I don't know if I'm alone on that, but like Iserman was active and his team was shitty all season long. I mean, aside from, you know, like I think it was the end of the season um, or when they, you know, whatever. But. He was he was active, and I think that was something that was exciting to Red Wings fans. And I, I look at Iserman as a, a, a GM who has always been an active GM. You know what I mean? Like, there are the GMs who just kind of fly under the radar, and yeah. then there are the GMs who are constantly moving. And I look at Iserman that way. And that's how I used to look at Holland. Like, I used to look at Holland as like, oh, he's always got something. There's always something There's something that he's going to surprise you with. But I think Eisenman's the same way, but in a different regard in that he's trying to develop the team rather than give it a violent shove into contention. So, hey, that, that's how I it. Yeah. You know another time Steve Eisenman was known for <laughs> taking a flyer? Uh, when he traded Valtteri Foppola. <laughs> I thought you were going to make a joke about the 97 Stanley Cup win. That's fine. No worries. Nope. Back, back to Valtopola. Yeah, back. It always comes back. Again, everything comes full circle to, to Valtopola. <laughs> um, Peter, did you have anything else that we wanted to add on for uh, for Alan? I mean, not really. Like, the question that JJ asked um, and, like, the follow-up was pretty much what I was really interested in. Um, the idea of... You know, Kyle, you had mentioned uh, a couple of times, I think, about how, you know, we're not expecting Detroit to be good for, you know, like even like, you know, playoff good for another couple of years. Like that just kind of seems to be like the timeline that Iserman is working with based on the, the, the moves he's made. Um, and, you know, one thing that I, I know I'm really interested in is, you know, if he can get rid of some of these 
deadweight contracts that are blocking some other, you know, maybe not even our prospects, but, you know, just like a an NHL-capable player. Like, for example, you know, we got Nielsen, we got Abdulkader. You know, last year they weren't playing at an NHL level. You know, so even if, you know, it's not to bring in a prospect and give them playing time, which I, I would like to do if they're ready, you know, you, you, could, you could easily sign almost you know you could sign somebody or trade for somebody uh to fill that spot and do it much better but the hard thing is that those players like nobody wants them you know um and so i guess my only question is like so alan in terms of you know like you know right now it seems like those contracts are probably immovable unless you're going to give up a lot more than you would want to you know like throw another player or like something else for a team to take that contract you know do you think based on what you've seen that Iserman could do something like just leave him, you know, or something like that as a, you know, I don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, I think what will happen there if I had to guess is I think he'll pick, he'll pick a few of those guys that he thinks are the guys who are going to be the veterans on the team who he wants to sort of carry the company culture while they go through this, the company culture, the team culture while they go through this uh, transition phase. And, uh, and so he'll keep those guys around understanding that they're overpaid and that they're not playing well um, for those reasons, because they're going to be, eventually they're going to have a bunch of like 21 and 22 year olds on the team. Um, So I think he's going to do that with a few of them. I think you're going to be surprised. I think he'll find a way to move a couple of those guys. Um, I think he will find buyers at trade deadlines or in the summers when GMs are desperate. Um, And even if it involves getting creative, you know, multiple teams, um, he'll find ways to, to ship those, those dollars off the, off the, the cap sheet and, and clear some space. And then I think, um, when the time comes, he'll, he'll go to the owner and, and say, open your checkbook and buy out some of these guys, um, which they did in Tampa with, uh, with Matt Carl. Um, and, 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 you know, so when they've had to, they've, they've gone that route. So I think, I think he'll mix it up where there'll be a, a couple guys who will stick around. There'll be, you know, a couple guys who get bought out and then he'll find a way to move some contracts. And I think that, I think that cap sheet, by the time the cap sheet matters, I think it's going to look, um, I think everybody will be surprised that at how, you know, quickly Iserman is able to make that work, especially if, like you guys are saying, there's a there's somebody who can help him figure out how to how to you know structure the the deals to make those moves. I'll say one thing that Iserman is in probably the best position of his career to operate like that. I don't know what the uh, ownership uh, situation was really like in Tampa, but uh, that guy's got a blank check here. I can guarantee you that because not only does he have uh, I mean, I guess we don't really need to explain it. Steve Eiserman has brought this city so much, and the Illich family adores him. Um, I mean, yeah, the guy really does. It could probably do whatever he wants. Um, it, so I think he's in a really good situation here. Um, and I also really like the the way you describe that, Alan, is, uh, when I think about it, is he kind of operates kind of like cloak and dagger. And uh, I like that. Uh, kind of just waiting <laughs> for for some GM to possibly, you know, make, make, make a dumb move. Um, and that, that really, I mean, it translates, I mean, that makes sense because he operated like that in, in Tampa too. So, I mean, this is great. So, um, Peter, did you have anything else? 
No, I'm good. I just yeah. Yeah, like, like what you're cool. saying about like operating. You know, I, I love like, you know, with, with Iserman, you can get up and, uh, you know, you have to go to the bathroom at two o'clock in the morning and you look at your phone and you have an alert that you just acquired a new player. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, rem- I will never forget the Fabry trade. I'll be like, what? Yeah. Um, I know. <laughs> uh, and I still think that Fabry's going to end up getting traded somehow um but yeah so alan uh it's been really awesome for you to come on and uh provide your insight uh this has been really really enlightening and helpful and uh you know we obviously wish the tampa bay lightning uh the best but not as good as the red wings um so (laughs) obviously uh we, we love having you on and hopefully maybe one day we can do it again when uh i don't know we meet in the playoffs or something like that when 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 we're on the way down and you guys are on the way up. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. It's always well, I, it's always easy to piss downward. <laughs> I, I will say that I, I share with with Alan the 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 big rooting interest that if they do and I, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, um, but if they do end up uh, restarting this season or the playoffs, that my biggest hope is that uh, Tampa eliminates Boston in the playoffs. <laughs> yes. Uh, the day before Tom Brady takes his first snap as a Buccaneer. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, that, that would be that would be wonderful. <laughs> Are you a Buccaneers fan? Um, so I haven't I haven't paid as as much attention the last few years, but yeah, for a while there I was. So you I was, are now. Okay. I, I watched every game. Yeah. <laughs> you're being a, you're a fan at the yeah okay yeah cool. well. I'm the same way. I mean, I guess out of all the uh, Eastern Conference teams, if I have to pick one uh, that I or I'm not Eastern Conference teams, but uh, our division, uh, the uh, the Atlantic, uh, if I have to pick one, um, it's it's to to cheer for. It's going to be Tampa, I guess, because um, I'm not cheering for the any of the other shit heels. So <laughs> I, we have to agree on that, right, JJ? Yeah, yeah. I mean, who are you going to root for, the Leafs? God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Just yeah, what no. The fuck. Hang me, like literally hang me from my from my Achilles tendon. I would rather have. <laughs> so, anyways, thank you so much, uh, uh, Alan. We appreciate your insight, and uh, hopefully, be on soon. We'll be right back. We'll take another break, uh, and then uh, we'll wrap up. We'll get some reader questions in, and uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about some other fun stuff. Wim Radio, ad timeout. All right, let's play. All right, welcome back, everybody. It's been a real exciting uh, podcast. We've had a lot of good conversation with Alan uh, from Raw Charge um, uh, and uh, about Heiserman and, and his what he did in Tampa and how we can contrast that with here in Detroit. Um, but we're going to end on some reader questions and a couple other topics. So JJ's going to go ahead and take that, as he always does. JJ? All right. Uh, just wanted to let everybody know um, we did talk to Alan off air, and <laughs> If you have like a, a script you want him to read a bedtime story with that amazing <laughs> voice of his, um, he does charge, but I'll be your go-between and I get a finder's fee. Right. Uh, okay, so moving on to reader questions. There are only three comments in the reader question. The very first one isn't even a question, but it does mention uh, Brendan Leipzig. And all I want to say about that is I, I, I don't want to dig into it. There's nothing you're going to hear from me that you sh- that you could not hear from the women who are saying things about this. Find those voices, listen to them, internalize it, and realize that. And that's I'm just moving on from that point forward. Uh, you do not need to hear it from me. 
Well said. So, Brad Hughes says, in at least one game this season, Trevor Daly, Madison Bowie, and Giovanni Smith were all on the ice at the same time. Has any NHL team ever played five black skaters on the ice at the same time? How about four? Uh, This isn't including the goalie. I did some research. I was not able to find another time when one team had even three at the same time. Did you guys find anything else? Um, I mean, when you look at Red Wings hockey, absolutely not. Um, I mean, this team has historically been very, very white. So Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of... Yeah, I mean, like, like it, it kind of seems like it's rare for it to even have, like, two black players on the team, yeah. you know, let alone on the ice at the same time. Um, I'm trying to think of any. I can't. I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. And, I mean, when we think about, like, we, we think of, like, can you think of any off the top of your head? No. You, I mean, most people probably can't. And I think that when we contrast that with now, it shows how this – sport is beginning to grow and beginning to develop and it's maybe it's, it's a very slow process but um hopefully i mean I'm, this is just the beginning and uh you know i'm i'm hopeful that hockey will be available to communities uh, you know inner city communities and communities who are less fortunate because um it's a it's a great fucking sport and everybody deserves to be able to play it and have fun and, and enjoy it yeah I, mean, I was thinking like New Jersey has Subban and Simmons right now, but that's only two. Yeah, did uh, Bufflin and Oduya ever overlap in Chicago? I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. think yeah, I don't so. Know. I I don't recall them ever overlapping, at least. Yeah. So, uh, doubtful, inconclusive, not sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, our own Mike Bremer came up with the, the last, saving the best last, says the wings are stuck at home. So obviously Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha, Ronick, and Blashill are playing Dungeons and Dragons on Roll20.net. What characters are Larkin, Bertuzzi, Mantha, and Ronick playing? And what kind of adventure does Dungeon Master Blashill have planned for them? Are there any other players who characters we forgot about? Peter, I'm going to throw this right to you. Yeah, I have no goddamn <laughs> idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I figured that I figured that this was going to come to me. Although, although JJ, you know, you you probably have a little bit of insight lately. Um, so, okay, so uh, luckily I did some research because I I didn't see this question until shortly before we started recording. Um, and it's good because it, uh, if this was just off the top of my head, it would probably suck. Um, so it'll suck less. Um, so I think Mantha. For Mantha, like the the obvious one would be fighter. However, I think that he is more of a paladin, right? Because when he's getting injured, he is trying to right a wrong. He is trying to stand up for the common good, and he is trying to uh, defend his friends against evil. And so I think that fits a paladin. Um, for Larkin, I put a rogue. Uh, because rogues are very shifty, they're very sneaky, uh, like, it's easy to kind of lose track of them, right, and with his speed and his ability to kind of, um, you know, get away from defenders, I think that makes sense, and plus, um, rogues can do crazy amounts of damage, right, and Larkin can, you know, go on some, uh, you know, point, you know, scoring streak, uh, like, tears, basically. Um, for Bertuzzi, I put a bard, oh, yeah. uh, because he's very charismatic, right, um, and a lot of times, bards... 
if you don't really know anything about them, because like, you know, they're, you know, they, they have like a, a musical instrument, and, you know, but what you don't know, you know, if you never played before, is that they have magic, right? So they can cast spells and like destroy things and stuff. And so Bertuzzi, you know, a lot of like when he came up, people didn't really think he was going to, you know, put up points and stuff but obviously he's doing really well so he's more dangerous than you might think at first um and then Hronik, this was the hardest one for me um i went with cleric i don't know if that's the best choice somebody out there might might have a better one um just because like uh like the cleric is like the ultimate support right and he's one of the only players we have on defense that can actually support the team on defense uh and so i think that makes sense um and then for blashill uh, I know this is going to come as a shock, right? So so what I came up with is, is that he has, like, a straightforward adventure, very simple, very clear goal, but then every, like, five minutes, he just keeps changing it, right? So, you know, they're in a, you know, they're in a tunnel, and then all of a sudden he's like, no, wait, no, actually, you're outside. And he just keeps changing it, keeps forcing the party to split, and he assigns them random NPCs to team up with rather than the players that they've gotten to know and get used to and understand. He splits them up and takes away the chemistry that they have built together so that's what i came up with for that yeah Jesus i was gonna christ <laughs> i was definitely gonna go with that he keeps uh he, he finds ways to, to split the party and make sure they can't go together uh i was thinking uh, that mantha would would probably work as a barbarian but i do i'd like the paladin answer the the very lawful good um kyle actually said that eiserman is cloak and dagger and i was like no he's the rogue but um I like your answer for for Larka too. Bertuzzi was was right on. I think Heronic might actually be a wizard, because um, he's the very much the ranged guy who can uh, he can buff the party or he can just create damage from from far away in some uh, really uh, really fun way. Like I don't know, Manta has the the fighter too, because that's what I, I, I've recently started playing like i never played D. Uh, like i always like was kind of interested in it but never really learned too much about it and i just, just started playing and i'm a fighter and i'm basically learning that my job is just meat shield i'm just like there to absorb damage and okay. i mean that does kind of fit for mantha <laughs> <laughs> yeah, unfortunately <laughs> uh any other characters I mean- who's I mean, honestly, you got you guys could have picked any other damn thing. Diablo three, World World of Warcraft, Diablo two. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about D and D, even though I yeah. love that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you guys caught me off guard there because I don't know anything about it. But next time, you yeah. can do you can do uh, something like uh, Diablo two, uh, maybe Starcraft. Sure. Some I'll be there. I'll be right there. I got a full report for you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Kyle. So, what what race is Larkin in StarCraft? Uh, if he's he's probably going. I mean, he's going to be human, right? It's because he's like he follows along with like the. Uh, I don't know. He just you know because it. I don't know. The last time I played StarCraft, they're called humans, right? <laughs> Terrans, humans, Terrans, Terrans, Terrans. Terrence, right? Whatever one is, are the regular people? Because Larkin strikes me as like the normal kid who is just kind of given really good ability to do things. Like he just has the ability to do things well. And that's how I look at Larkin is that, I mean, he's just a normal guy uh, and he's just really friggin' good at hockey. 
and that's how I look at that's how I've always looked at Larkin. I mean, there is an argument that Larkin would make a good Zerg because basically the the way you play Zerg is is to do fast as possible, just rush and attack. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. But Bertuzzi strikes me much more as a Zerg because they're also kind of filthy. Say that Mantha is a barbarian, though. If you're talking about like like even along lines of like like something like Diablo two, he's a he's a barbarian because he's just a big guy and he's up close and he's just there to to absorb the shit. Yeah. yeah. Are there but, any other characters that we like? Bertuzzi could like... be too, though. <laughs> Bertuzzi could be a barbarian too, though. I mean, he's yeah. He's up. He's always right there. Uh, how about this? Who on the team? If we're talking about Diablo two, or maybe even in D and D, who would be like a necromancer? Ooh. That's a good one. Um, uh, Ken Holland. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a good one. Yeah. But on the team currently, who would be the necromancer? Mm. Like, I like that's a good one because I who's think- the one who's like. Kind of like, kind of weird and off, and like maybe hides dead bodies in their closet. We don't actually. Know. <laughs> I think Patrick Nemeth is probably the, the gothiest. Yes, guy I love there. it. Yes. <laughs> yes, that is good, Patrick Nemeth, and I like Patrick Nemeth. So yeah. I like necromancers. So cool. And then the D and D party, um, Andreas Athanasi was the guy who just doesn't show up anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, guy who has, the guy who found a who got a girlfriend and <laughs> now can't play on thir- on Thursdays at eight PM more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I think that kind of ties up everything with uh with the uh reader questions and um am I right? We only had that was the last one, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, okay. Um as always we thank you for your reader questions. We know that it's tough to come up with stuff to talk about right now since uh, the topics are few and far between. Um, but we hope that we'll have some big news here coming in the next, uh, it could be in the next hour, it could be in the next few days, uh, about the NHL and the NHL draft lottery. Um, obviously, uh, there's been a lot of rumors that the NHL could possibly switch the draft format to which the Red Wings would be guaranteed the number one and number two, or number two pick. Um, if you don't know anything about that, I urge you to go and Google it and learn more about it because it's something that could possibly happen. And um, I just want to say that while I understand that it is, if it does happen, it is very, it, it could be unfair to uh, lottery teams or, or teams who just narrowly miss the playoffs. And it could be, uh, you know, a little lopsided. Um, I just want to remind everybody that. You are listening to the wrong podcast. I don't give a shit. Uh, the Red Wings deserve the first overall pick, and the NHL needs the Red Wings to be good. So uh, I have a closet full of violins, and you can email me, and I will ship you one. And that's that. So, <laughs> again, this is a fan podcast. This is, you're not going to get down the middle here. You're, you're, <laughs> you're going uh, to get the fans' perspective, and I am. Um, Obviously, I am totally on board with that, um, as is everybody else. Though, uh, if the Red Wings do get the number two pick, uh, it, there 
it, who the hell knows what's going to happen because I think Iserman has something crazy planned. But anyways, uh, that's my final hockey-related thought is that uh, if you are upset that the Red Wings might get the first or second overall pick, uh, uh, smooches. That's all I can <laughs> say to you. Uh, anybody else? Uh, um, I don't know. I, I think we had a good podcast tonight. I'm not sure if we tried hard enough, but uh, <laughs> 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 I once again enjoyed talking to you guys. I always do. Yeah, yeah this was good. It's always nice to to... to to convene and now that I'm kind of like I, I've been absent the last couple of weeks and hopefully uh, that is over um, but yeah I'm uh, I'm looking forward to see what happens uh, with the draft and um, yeah I, I just hope that everybody at home stays healthy and uh, you know we're almost out of this uh, and uh, we just you know got to fight through it and we'll be there sports will be back eventually and uh, yeah just I just want everybody to stay home be smart and be healthy Anybody else that got anybody got got anything else? Yeah. Cool. All right, guys. Well, we thank you so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll 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 hear from you, or we'll hear from you, and you'll hear from us next time. Uh, so take care, stay home, stay healthy, stay safe. Wait a minute. Wait a minute.